to have these meetings at the request of the co-workers in Russia in 2002 during one of my semi-annual visits there. And they asked if I would just have a time with the wives of the co-workers and the serving ones to supply them. And then eventually it became, whenever I was there, just a meeting for sisters open to anyone. And so the pattern and the designation I, I call question and response for a reason. Uh, I don't say question and answer because that puts me in a situation of having answers for all kinds of things. And especially when you're meeting with sisters, 90% of the questions will be experiential ones, relational ones, practical ones. And I'm in no position to give answers to those significant questions. Only the Lord has the answer. Only the Lord is the answer. And so if the question is about truth, and the truth is revealed in the word, and the revealed Explanation that the real, revealed truth has been defined by the ministry of the age, then I can give an answer because God has supplied the answer. But in all the other questions, I can only respond by offering genuine fellowship. That's all. And you should just take it as that. And if it's helpful in response to your question, fine. If I miss the mark, I'm not, I'm not personalizing things here. It's okay. It seems to work. And so the fellowship is based upon the divine revelation, upon the ministry, upon the church life, or a 20th of a millennium, and my own life with the Lord, but still it's only one brother's question. I'm not the Bible answer man of the Lord's recovery. Okay. And so I think now I have 29 or 30 questions. Uh, and so uh, I will do my best to reply to each one. Uh, some just require a little more explanation than others. Some can be quite succinct. I don't mean to be abrupt. But if we touch the matter, essentially, that might be the best we can do. Okay, Brother Ron, what is the church life? What does it mean to live the church life? Okay, I'll, I'll respond to both questions. They're so closely related. What is it? What is to live it? We can respond on three levels, at least. The church life is a life in which you have given yourself to the Lord to live for Christ and the church and you attend meetings and you function and you serve in a practical way according to your measure and your situation and you enjoy having fellowship. Uh, more and more you would open your home for the saints to be there. So you can call that the church life. If someone doesn't do any of that, and they're not a prisoner somewhere, it's hard for them to say, well, 
I live the church life. It's just I'm never in a meeting. I don't contact any saints. Okay. But then we have to go to a deeper level. So one definition Brother Lee gave, the reality of the church life is living a life of fellowship. It's a life of mutuality. You have the realization as a believer you cannot live without fellowship. You're not going to make this all by yourself. We need one another. We love one another. We serve one another. We bear one another's burdens. And we also bear our own burden. But the intrinsic definition of the church life is it is a group of believers in oneness living Christ corporately. That is the essence of the church life. Because the life and the expression church life is the divine life. It is Christ who is our life. It is the spirit of life. It is the life of God. And the definition of a Christian life, the brotherly gave it in the book called The Christian Life, it is to allow Christ to live in you, then in oneness with him, you live him, that is, you express him. When we do this corporately, that is the essence of the church life. And eventually, you know, when we came in in the 60s, we had meetings on Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, different kind of meetings. Saturday morning we came early. We had prayer and fellowship. Then we had practical service until noon. Then on the Lord's Day morning, there would be one or two meetings. And the Lord's Table meeting was in the evening. And so when I entered the church life, it was just, it's a meeting life. You really can't say, if you don't ever meet, you're really in the church life. And then the practical service. I participated in that. But eventually, our being longs for something more substantial, more intrinsic, more reality. And that is the fellowship, the mutual care, the washing one another's feet. And it's the corporate living of Christ. Okay. See, that's a response. It's not a definitive answer, but it's a response. Okay, uh, this one is very, very long. I'm just going to keep it away for now. I'm not ignoring it. It just, see, it's, it's, it's long. <laughs> and some of them need to be long. So I don't belittle them. They need to be long. And so the one who wrote it, don't think I'm bothered. I just want to set it aside. You know, I'll keep it in vision, and I won't, I won't go home until I responded to it. What shall we as parents do with our children when the matter of same-sex marriage is becoming more widespread? For example, teachers are introducing this concept. Oh, in California, they're taking the lead to corrupt the children and to mislead them and to violate God. Also, what should our attitude be towards this group of people when we come in contact with them at work, school, and community? I'm thankful personally that 
My children are all middle-aged plus, and even my grandchildren are developing. So I don't have direct interaction with, you know, my own family. But I've considered this. So I'll just tell you where I am in my thinking. The Supreme Court in the United States invented, invented the law that of same-sex marriage, redefined marriage. Uh, it's between any two humans, same gender, same sex, or not. So that's the law. And so I accept that as the law. So there will be legal marriages of two males, two females. I think it's only a matter of time, because on the same day that was passed, a group of three living together said, what about, you know, polygamy? What about uh, polyamory? Then he loves, why can't, why, why is marriage limited to two? Why can't it be three? Why can't it be five? There's no end to this. So it's the law. And I'm not a social crusader. I don't want to be part of any kind of movement. Let's overthrow it. Let's sort of put people in office that will nullify it. If others want to do that, that's fine. And so, when I meet people that have this kind of legal marriage, I just respect them as persons. I just respect them as persons and respect their decision and recognize that it's legal and I'm not going to question that. But at the same time, you will never get me to change my conviction concerning what marriage is. I will never accept your ideology. I will never accept your teaching of children that you tell someone six, six years old, you can be a girl today, you can be a boy tomorrow, whatever you want to do, you can decide it. That is a lie, that is demonic, that is satanic, that comes from the abyss. I think I'm making my point in a strong way. And so, I don't feel, especially in California, it's necessary to take on the corrupt educational system and try to reform it. If I had children going to school in this, hopefully I would try to pull them out and send them to Acacia with school. <laughs> where they're going to be preserved and get something true and healthy. I'm going to have to tell them, okay, your teacher is going to teach these things. Okay? And she has to do that. She's required by law to do that. And so you can understand what you're saying. Please let me know. And then I will show you how that is a lie. How that is false. And this is the truth. According to God, according to your dad, according to the saints, one man, one woman, only that is marriage. But don't take this and attack your teacher or attack the others. Just know this is the truth. And so when I meet people like this, if all that they're asking for is that you just accept us as persons who made this choice, then I'm going to do that. I'm not going to try to make this the point of a gospel message to say you are bound for the lake of fire, you're contracting the word of God. 
That is not the way to preach the gospel to someone in this kind of situation. Much like the Lord, when he talked to a woman who had had five husbands and was living with a man, not her husband, he didn't say, I am God, I have all knowledge, I know you are a, more, um, or a corrupt, immoral person. You've had five husbands. You are bound for the lake of fire. He said, uh, may I have a drink of water? And so this is my feeling about this. I acknowledge that it's the law. I'm not going to crusade against the law. But I will never stop teaching the truth. If they want to imprison me, then... I would have one request if you imprison me. Please arrange for Brother Dick Taylor to be my cellmate. <laughs> because he will keep me happy in the Lord. <laughs> okay, my friend. Okay, I've I, I read this already. This is a young person who's now is only 20. And he's a friend of a saint. And he was diagnosed with a rare cancer in, 19, in 2019, last year. Then he was told he was cured. And after that, he began to come to the high school meetings. And then we heard recently, he was told by the doctor that the cancer recurred. He has only 18 months to live. He's not a believer. And he said he doesn't want to go through that treatment again. He is only 20. I want to help him. I really don't know what I should do. I want to bring him into the church. I want him to learn to depend on God in this matter. Well, the first thing, he needs to be saved. And please realize, it's a great thing for a sinner to be saved. And end their life knowing their sins are forgiven. They have eternal life. They will be eternally with all the saints in the new Jerusalem. We shouldn't minimize this. And I believe the Lord will give you a way to contact this one based upon the fact that you know that you're going to die within 18 months. And you have decided reasonably not to go through this treatment again. And so you're going to, you're going to die. And I want to help you prepare yourself for this. Because you will meet God. And because I care for you as my friend, I want you to meet God as a believer in Christ. Are you willing just to learn some things about this in a friendly way? And then you get together with some companions and you pray for the salvation of this young person. And maybe many will be saved through his being saved. On what basis can a saint or a Christian get divorced? On what basis can someone who is divorced get remarried? 
How can someone who is divorced without a proper basis be restored to fellowship? Okay, regarding uh, divorce, we have a clear word from the Lord. Right? We do. So we're bound by that. We're governed by that principle. And he, he gave only one condition, you know. And you know what the one condition is. And so that can lead to a divorce. It doesn't necessarily have to, but it depends on what the other party can bear and how much grace they have to want to restart. But in the culture, in the world, well, I just don't love you anymore or I met someone else or, or marriage is just a piece of paper, just a document. And then this affects the minds of the young or anyone. And before God, they don't have the basis for divorce. So that's clear from the word. On what basis can a divorced person get remarried? This is based on some principles from the word, but just from the way brotherly led us. So I have a lot of confidence in the way brotherly led us. Uh, but he led us in a shepherding way, not in a domineering way. And because we have to have a broad picture because divorce and getting remarried, even if you don't have the ground, they're not unforgivable sins. We shouldn't have this attitude that there never can be a resolution of this. That's not God's heart. That's not his mercy. That's not his love and his grace. But uh, this is a very real case. Uh, a young couple that met in the training. The brother had a feeling for her for a long time. When she found out about it, she was open to the Lord. And they got married. And I just knew there were going to be real problems just on the basis of her disposition and her manipulative nature, but they got married. Then after a few years, she wanted to divorce him. And I had fellowship with both of them together at their request, and I told them, you don't have the ground to divorce. You may need a temporary separation with the intention of both of you getting help so you can have a new start. But even if you get a divorce, God does not recognize it. And while you are divorced, there still should be something in you hoping for a reconciliation. So I told them, you will not have the ground for a period of time. Eventually they, they could. I'll explain. You, didn't, you will not have the ground to get married. Then about seven or eight months later, I learned from the elders in the church where she now was, that there's a rather new brother there, a medical student who had very strong feelings for her and she had feelings for him and they wanted to start a relationship. And the brothers had to share with them. She doesn't have the ground to marry. Eventually she asked for fellowship with me again. I had to be faithful to the word. I said, you don't have the ground to remarry. Your former husband is still alive. He is not in a relationship with another woman 
He's not married to another woman. He's not living in a de facto marriage with another woman. That would give you the ground, but you don't have it. So at that time, she said she accepted that, but it didn't last. So they just decided, contrary to all the fellowship, to get married. And I wanted to be sure, I was told accurately what was happening. I contacted the source of one of the parents, and he said, yes, they're getting married. So as of now, their their church life is over. For now. So, but I've seen many, many, many cases where there was a divorce, especially on the side of the party who didn't want the divorce, just was heartbroken by it, but couldn't stop it. And then this one, whether sister or brother, waited on the Lord and had the ground to be in the meetings and the function in the meetings. And time after time, the Lord allowed something to happen to the other party. Mainly they remarried. They gave, the, you could say, the, the unwilling one, the ground to marry. And then again and again, the Lord brought together just a perfect match, maybe someone who went through the same kind of agony. And they had the ground to be remarried and they're blessed. Now what about a situation where according to the conscience of the church and the conscience of the elders, they shouldn't have gotten married? Well, eventually, I would hope they would realize the mistake the unrighteous thing they did and and repent to the Lord and clear it up with the Lord. It's not unforgivable. This is the key thing. Then they say, "We, we want to be recovered to the church life. Then our heart is to open a way for them. Not to set up a barrier, to open a way for them. But they may say, well, we want to be in this church where I was, and we have to say, look, there's so many saints who knew you when you were married before. Even your ex-husband is still there. We have to take care of the feelings of the church and the feelings of the saints. So may the Lord open a way where you can just go to another healthy church. No one knows your history. No one needs to know your history. And then you have a new beginning there. We've seen this happen. And so on the one hand, this is a combination in caring. The combination is of righteousness and love. This is First John. Not just all love without righteousness. And neither is there all righteousness without love. You're just strict. You're severe. You're inflexible. You did it. You're finished. You'll never be in the kingdom. You'll never be an overcomer. Who are we to say this? Who are we? But you need to clear something up. And this is what we suggest. Okay. Deuteronomy 15.4 says, However, there shall not be any needy among you, for Jehovah will surely bless you in the land which Jehovah your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess. 
But Deuteronomy 15.11 says, For the needy will not cease being in the land. Therefore, how do we reconcile these two verses? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But I think it's... I would Because I don't. But I would offer something that here's the principle. There shall not. That's a command. Not there will not. There shall not be. This is a command. There's needy among you. You should care for them. This is part of living under God's government in the good land. You should care for them in the land. Because Jehovah is giving you an inheritance. But then the fact is, the needy will not cease being in the land. Indicating that God's people are not going to follow this command thoroughly. Absolutely. So I don't know if that's a reconciliation, but I feel kind of at rest. That that's kind of a kind of a neat comment, <laughs> maybe, because it says you shall. That's the command. If it said you will, meaning this has happened, and then another verse says there will always be the poor, then that's irreconcilable. But the command is one thing; the actual doing is another. And if, let's say, half of the Israelites ignore the command, then they're in trouble with God, and then the needy ones will continue to suffer. We are not supposed to meet God's demand by ourselves, self-effort. At the same time, if we do not obey the Spirit, we cannot go on with the Lord because obedience is the way and the condition for one to receive and enjoy the Spirit. So what do we do if we just cannot obey and we don't want to exert self-effort? And we have told the Lord that we cannot and have asked him to be the one doing it in us, but nothing seems to be changing and still cannot obey, totally stuck what to do. And there's a, a similar question. Uh, there's a similar question that was presented to me, and I, I can include it here. <clears throat> There is a difference between self-effort, that is the attempt of a person using their own strength and energy to fulfill God's requirements. And they're doing that without honestly depending on the spirit and on the body. But there's such a thing as cooperating with the spirit as a human being. So let's consider an aspect of the full-time training. The trainees who come, they realize there is a schedule here. You get up at 6 a.m. From 6 a.m. to 6.30, that's a time with the Lord. This is when you need to be in the cafeteria for breakfast. This is when the first class starts. Okay. And if someone just says, I am not a punctual person, I am lethargic, but if I force myself to get up at six o'clock, that's self-effort. So I'll wait for an angel to come and lift me out of bed and to energize me because you are all engaging in self-effort and I am passive to the uttermost. 
Well, there's a difference between willpower and the function of the will to make decisions. I will get up. I don't know how you wake up in the morning. Maybe some of you are like a hind let loose, full of energy. I grope to consciousness. Then I have to figure out where am I on the earth? In what time zone? So I am 55% awake, 45% asleep. And I just have to make a decision. I will get up now. I don't consider that self-effort. I consider that human responsibility to cooperate with the Lord. Or if I want to receive the Lord's dispensing every day through the word, then I need to set aside a time, however long it is is not the question here, I will set aside the time for reading and pray reading the word. I don't just lie around until the Lord comes and starts dispensing into me. There's a proverb somewhere in the book of Proverbs that the sluggard, the lazy person, puts his hand to the dish and he won't bring it up to his mouth. And some kind of misguided or unbalanced ones who are emphasizing you know, God's work They think, I can't do anything. Then what? Who's going to brush your teeth? Who's going to shave you? Who's going to dress you? (laughs) On and on and on and on it goes. And so that's the difference. It's not self-effort, but it's you cooperating. And so you cannot obey. Okay, we agree. Only Christ is our obedience. He's the obedience one. But I can make a decision. You see, our response to commands in the word of God should be threefold, three steps like this. And let me take a a simple one, Matthew 5.48. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. I'm facetious when I said it's simple. We should say, amen. Amen. This is the word of God, Amen. amen. The second response is, Lord, I can't do this. I can't. He's waiting for us to say this. Then the third response comes from him. I know you can't. I will do it. But I don't know if ever you've heard a child say, Mommy, Daddy, I'm not able to do what you want, so I am excused from doing it. (laughs) No, no. Actually, God only asks us to do things we can't do so that we will need him. So then we have the balance, I think. Okay. When you told us yesterday that there is more Christ in us now than two years ago, is this something you actually see in the fourth stage of life? (laughs) Meaning... Are you in the fourth stage of seeing this or are you seeing the fourth stage in us or are you speaking by faith or both? Okay. If I'm, if I'm speaking by faith, what I'm saying is I don't see anything. But I believe something's there. 
you know, faith is substantiating things you don't see. No, I'm not speaking by faith. I'm speaking in truth, based on discernment and realization. And so, it's not a matter of stage. It's just that you're not where you were two years ago. You've advanced. You're advancing. You know, if you want to be more specific about where I really am, then you really have to be open for to walk in the light. And there can be truth spoken in love. But I'd rather leave that to the Lord like in Song of Songs. He'll have a way to indicate to you where you are now. So he doesn't just say you're a you're like an Egyptian mare. No. He lets you know how things are developing. And the Lord will do this to you. Isaiah 52, 14, footnote 2 says that Christ's face and his form were marred in order that he might save us. Why did his face and form have to be marred in order to save us? What is the relationship between his being marred and our salvation? A very thoughtful question. And honestly, I've never really considered this. I'm just considering it now. And I can just share what's in me now. It's incomplete, to say the most. But just when he became a human, he wasn't physically attractive. He, he wasn't... He didn't become a man who is like Alexander the Great. Some of the women would say he's gorgeous. He became a most common person that we can relate to. That, we, that is like us. He's born into poverty. He worked as a tradesman with his hands. He was in a large family. He had no form or comeliness that we would be attracted to him. And then when he suffered in our behalf for our redemption, I'm inclined to think his being marred was just part of this suffering. When he was before the Roman leaders and Pilate said, I don't find any ground in him to crucify him, but I will purge him in other words, I will torture him. I will beat him and then let him go. And so I'm inclined to think his willingness to bear this and to be mistreated like this, to be mocked. They beat him with rods. They put a purple garment on him and mocked him. They stuck a crown of thorns in his forehead. He was willing physically to suffer all of this as part of the price for our salvation. That's what I can offer now. I'm wide open for correction or more light. We are regenerated by the life-giving spirit coming into our deadened spirit to give us life in our spirit. So how was Jacob regenerated? Okay. No, a very good question. And it's based upon 
the teaching that dispensationally, dispensationally, not intrinsically, dispensationally, in the Old Testament, the Spirit was upon people. It didn't enter into people. The Spirit didn't enter into people until Christ became the life-giving Spirit and entered into us. Then you read in 1 Peter chapter 1, I think it's 1 Peter, but it might be 2nd, but I think it's 1st. Peter talking about the prophets speaking according to the Spirit of Christ in them. What it says, the Spirit of Christ in them. So what do we have here? Do we have a contradiction? Then, I'm going by memory, I think it's accurate to the main point. Brother Lee said there's a difference between the dispensational function of the Spirit and the, the actual function of the Spirit, which is not bound by space and time. And so based on this, people like Moses, people like Jacob, could actually have the Spirit within them, even though they're living under a different dispensation, the dispensation before the law. Yet the function of the Spirit is not bound by that. And if the Lord wants to enter into such a person and really transform such a person and bring him to maturity, he can do that in that age, even though, generally speaking, the Spirit would come upon uh, God's people. Just, just ponder that, and please consider that footnote on, on 1 Peter, on, on that verse, and then the other scriptural references and I'm satisfied with this, that resolved the matter in me personally, because I had the same question. And so the function of the Spirit is eternal. God is not bound by space and time. But there's also a dispensational aspect. Okay. My spouse is not interested in having intimate relationship with me. Is this God's will? that I be transformed. This, however, uh, leads to many temptations. Okay, It is not God's will. It's contrary to God's will. It's contrary to God's word. It's contrary to the marriage relationship. And actually, in just in human society, it can be a ground for divorce. And there's a technical term for it, uh, a certain kind of abandonment. First, and so every once in a while, I give non-romantic fellowship to young married couples or young engagement couples, along with the, along with the, um, the romantic side, the enjoyable side, the mutual loving side. Sometimes I point them to First Peter three. But how God views marriage under his government. How the, the sisters should relate. Mainly they should stop trying to convince their husbands by talking. But have a meek and quiet spirit and gain them through their manner of life. Then he turns to the husbands and says, you have to live with them according to knowledge. 
What, what kind of knowledge? <clears throat> the knowledge of the marriage relationship and the knowledge of the weaker female vessel. Not weak. Me weak. You err. One syllable difference. Not me strong. You weak. I'm weak. You're just an err. Two little letters. Difference. Giving more honor to the weaker vessel. Then what about 1 Corinthians 7? Paul is very direct. Do not deprive one another. You have no right to do this. You deprive one another. You do that, you open the door for Satan to come in. The husband does not have authority over his own body. The wife does. The wife does not have authority over her own body. The husband does. In other words, when you got married, you surrendered yourself. You gave yourself to live a life of mutual care, mutual subjection. And for someone to say, I don't want to do this, I'm not interested because I don't have any feeling, I'm not going to do it. What is this? This is the, a black hole of a, of a self. I don't feel like it. I don't want to do it. I'm not interested. That's true. You need to go to the Lord and also get some real fellowship as to why someone at your age is totally indifferent. But look, there's another person. And whether it's the wife or the spouse, is there no love here? Is there no care here? Would you not take care of meeting her need? And so I would avoid saying, this is God's will for my transformation. No, it's contrary to God's will. It's contrary to God's requirement. It is disobedience. It is disregarding the marriage relationship. And the self is at the core. And yes, this leads to many temptations. And so I've seen serious problems develop. The one party, they think they're the innocent one. I didn't yield to any temptation. I, I just don't show you any affection. I'll just never be intimate with you. I just don't care about your need, your needs. And so you yielded to this. Now I condemn you. You're the sinner. Well, the person sinned. There's no doubt about it. But before God, there's another party here. You opened the door for that. And I would say bluntly to non-married persons, you know, don't, don't live in some kind of dream. You see the, the lovely side, the romantic side, the cherishing side. You also need to read 1 Corinthians 7. You need to read 1 Peter 3. This is the most responsible relationship. This is the most important relationship there is. It's the only relationship of absolute openness. It's a relationship in love and in light. And if you're entering into it, that's why the sisters, I realize, there's more than love here. You have to be secure with the brother. You have to trust him. You have to respect him. You're going to take him as your head. No sister should do this blindly because you need to do this. Then the brother should realize, I've got a huge responsibility. 
I need Christ to be my head. I don't want to be a dictator. I don't want to mistreat her. I just want to learn what it is to be a head. And now, I, I know of one situation that this may sound strange, but this particular person is a married bachelor. He's married, but he continues to live as a single person. Whatever I feel, that's it. Whatever I want, that's it. I don't feel this, so I'm excused from doing it. And how they worked out, some kind of cohabitation, and they're friends, and they can stay together, but it's not normal. And what a message it gives to the children. I would fear and tremble. Okay, this is now quite a, quite a different one. You can tell I have feeling there. And I'm not ashamed to have feeling there. Uh, but I know how wonderful, how delightful, how mutually enjoyable a marriage can be when the source is God the Father and we let Christ live in us through the cross and we care for one another in a divinely human way, in a humanly divine way on every level. There's harmony and peace. And any discord doesn't lead to any argument. You just talk it through, resolve it, then there's more love than ever before. I see the co-workers giving back-to-back messages and special fellowships in between. Whoever did this? How do you find time to eat the Lord with, with such a busy schedule? Even if you do find time, how do you flow out so much with seemingly a disproportionate amount of time for the intake? I often wonder, does metabolism slow down as well as spiritually as you get older so that you don't need to eat as much to still maintain the same level of life? I like this one. It is true. It is true that as you age, your portion should get smaller. Otherwise, parts of you are going to get bigger. (laughs) And I hope it's okay. Most of the time, at least much of the time, I see a young brother, he gets married, and a year later, he's gained weight. (laughs) But after... I got married with Tanya. I lost 20 pounds. Because she has authority over my body in a most loving way. And I realized there are habits of eating. I can eat smaller portions and healthy things. And so I get homemade soup every lunch. They have the best borscht. Come to Anaheim. We'll give you borscht. So that's on the, the physical side. Um, what you say, your time is... Uh, you don't have amount of time for intake. Well, uh, right now I'm outflowing. And right now I'm intaking. 
at the same time. So there needs to be a distinct time where you're just with the Lord personally. And you're just approaching him according to where you are and what he wants to do personally. But the supply for these co-workers, whoever they are, who give back-to-back messages and special fellowship in between, uh, you need to understand where the supply comes from. It comes from God's grace. I work under this principle. Whatever God arranges, he supplies grace for that. But mainly the supply comes from the body. And it mainly comes from the prayers of the saints, especially the prayers of the sisters. And so the supply in the body is inexhaustible. It's inexhaustible. And so, uh, yes, the time is limited. But uh, I believe for... I I don't think I'm self-deceived here. I just want to make this part of the sharing. Um, when I had to walk through uh, inspection, you know, security at the airport, in the U.S., they had the big thing, you go in, you raise your hands, and it twirls around. Then there's another one for those 75 and older. And so I qualify for that. And so then uh, recently, I'm at LAX, and I'm going through there, and I tell them... Um, I don't have any metal. They asked you the question. I don't have any metal. So I walked through. But this time, the young lady said, are you, are you 75? I said, I'm 80. She said, I don't believe you're 80. <laughs> so maybe, maybe, maybe I'm a, a, sort of a, a younger 80. Part of that is in family history, whatever it is. But I'm ready for the limitations, the adjustments. I'm not going to be a hero. I have someone caring for me night and day. She'll know. She'll help me. But uh, to tell you the truth, I never had the feeling that I'm working. I just sense life flowing and saints being supplied and being happy and encouraged. And uh, I had lunch today. And my helper brought me the plate with just the things I should eat, and I had a healthy lunch. And later today, I will get help to do some physical exercise. So I like your question, but don't worry. Uh, Okay, my metabolism, metabolism is probably slowed down, so I just take in less stuff. And just let it go from there. Okay. What are some practical ways that we can turn to that we can turn to our spirit when the times are hard or when we are suppressed by our emotions? Sometimes I know I need to turn. We just find it so hard to ignore what I feel inside. Okay. There's a a very important practice here. And I highly recommend it. There's something else you need to exercise. 
before you try to exercise your spirit. And that is to exercise your heart by turning the heart to the Lord. This is how I begin every day. Lord, I turn my heart to you in faith and in love because the spirit is the inner man of the heart. If the heart isn't turned, it's difficult for us to really contact our spirit and activate our spirit. And when the heart turns, it turns in the condition that it's in. You don't wait for a change in your feeling, in your thought. You turn. And that's an act of the will. Going back to an earlier question, as you're altogether passive, then you're not going to turn, and passivity equals death. The enemy moves most when we're passive. But I've realized when I mention this exercise, this simple prayer, Lord, I turn my heart to you. I open my heart to you. I come to you just as I am. Don't wait till the mood changes. Come as you are. But I realize something, and I don't know if this is going on in anyone right now, but there are some dear saints that are... uh, They're quite inward, they're sensitive, tend to be introspective. So this is what happens. They tried this prayer. They would say, Lord, I turn my heart to you. And while they're praying this, they're thinking and asking themselves, am I really turning my heart to the Lord or I'm just saying something? So I'd like to offer you a backup prayer, a very good backup prayer. And that is, Lord, cause my heart to turn toward you. Lord, you do it. Even I'm not sure I can do it or if I'm really doing it. So don't deprive yourself. Just say, Lord, I don't don't think I can do this. Lord, I want you to cause my heart to turn then he won't come with a big sledgehammer and bang on you. He has a way, gently but firmly, to turn your heart to him. Amen. Then you will find it easier to exercise your spirit. Another thing that may be very helpful is just to talk to the Lord about all that's going on in you. Lord, I am... I'm discouraged. Lord, I'm depressed. Lord, I feel like giving up. Just just tell him all the things. When at 10 p.m. Moscow Daylight Savings Time on June 25th, 2016, in five minutes, my life began to change. Tanya's life began to change in a five-minute fellowship. Something is going on. And I went back to my room. On every level of my being, things were active. Firecrackers were going on. The spirit is flowing. (laughs) Feelings are there. Thoughts are there. Encouragement is there. Mystery is there. 
So I just sat down and just told the Lord everything that was going on in me. I'm feeling this. I'm thinking that. I need this. I don't understand. Why did I say this? What does she mean when she said this? Why did I say you're deep in my heart? And this and that. And then I did this for about 20 minutes and then I had a good sleep. And then the next day, things really got going. (laughs) And so don't, don't think you've got to wait until everything is okay. Just come as you are. And eventually, you'll be back in your spirit. What is the fine, the line between opinionated and the liberty of fellowship in a service group, coordination, especially for sisters? Well, being opinionated and having an opinion are not the same thing. The word opinionated in our spiritual application is mainly a matter of yourself is so active and so strong and your mind is set in a certain way that you have a certain opinion and it's powerful. It's a non-negotiable thing. But to have an opinion is just to have a thought about how something should be. So contrast Peter in Matthew 16. When he rebuked the Lord and said, this shall never happen to you. And the Lord turned and said to him, get behind me, Satan. Your mind is not set on the things of God, but on the things of man. You need to deny the self, lose the soul life. that's a destructive, opinionated person. Then in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul's responding to questions about married life. He's asked a real challenging one. He said, I have no word from the Lord. I'll give you my opinion. I'll just tell you what I think. Then he tells us what he thinks. Then he says, you know, I think I have the Spirit. And we read it. We know he has the Spirit. And so... If we just sat somewhere and prayed and sang, there would be no problems. But in order to do something together, we have to, fellowship, we have to talk, how are we going to do this? When will we do this? And we're going to have, understandably, different views and different feelings humanly. But if we're all willing for the Spirit the oneness of the Spirit to be applied to all of our inward parts, we will arrive at one accord, like what happened in Acts 15. And so then we can say in a proper spirit, brothers, I just have this view. I know there's been these views. I just have this view. This is just fellowship. Then you let it go. This is the, the harder thing. Don't if you're so subjective, like your feeling is just like your like your baby. If anyone doesn't accept your feeling or opinion, they're rejecting you and finding you as useless. That's the self. But if you can just take the lead to say, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I'm feeling, I present it to you. And if it's accepted or not, it doesn't bother you. 
This is something we need to learn. Brother Ron, can you share with us how did you stay in contact with the Lord during your teaching career? I just entered into the education field. I entered into the practice of applying Christ as the reality of all the positive things. I found it so real and sweet. However, I tend to forget to apply Christ when I get busy. Most of the day, I forget about the Lord how can we be strengthened in this matter? Okay. Uh, everyone's in the same situation. So let me tell you why. Uh, when I was a teacher, I asked Brother Lee the same question in a meeting that was open for questions. I said, Brother Lee, and I'm teaching and I'm in a challenging situation. Then how can I be in the spirit while I'm teaching? Then he gave me an answer, and while he gave me an answer, the spirit inwardly is saying something. Wow, I'm not going to get through this. Unless you stay till 9 o'clock. No, no, not even to 4 o'clock. We'll, I'll, I'll say something later. Then he just said, okay, outwardly you're teaching. Inwardly, it is, oh Lord, amen, hallelujah. Because that was when he came out with these four words. And when he said that, what the Spirit said within me, what you need is the dividing of soul and spirit. So this is why. When you're teaching, or if you're a neurosurgeon operating on my brain, you better really be concentrating on what you're doing. Okay? You better not be PSRP while you're doing that. And so we have to use our faculties to teach and to do so many other tasks. But because our spirit is not separated from our soul and is within our soul, and we have to use the faculties of our soul, we lose awareness of the spirit for hours. It was the same way. And now it's lunchtime. And so my soul is not active in teaching, so now I can read the word, I can have morning revival, which is really an early afternoon revival today. And my spirit and my soul work together. Then I'm back in the classroom, and it's the same thing. And then I just condemn myself. Why? I forgot God. I forgot Christ. It was just me there. Because there's no other way. But when our soul is divided from our spirit, the spirit is not bound by the soul. And we can then be in two realms at the same time. This is what Brother Lee was referring to. Outwardly, I'm teaching. My mind is engaged. My feelings are engaged. I'm interacting with the students. Inwardly, my spirit is in contact with the Lord. Receiving, dispensing. Responding to dispensing. And so after the class, I don't have to turn back to the spirit because I never left. This is the way the Lord is leading us. But that... Probably not going to happen by the next time you're in the classroom. So one way to pray that will help you some is to say, Lord, I'm going to teach. I have to concentrate on everything. I ask you, Lord, be the one teaching in me. Amen. Just live in me while I'm teaching. While I'm teaching outwardly, you live in me. How do we pray for saints who are sick? 
in the line of God's economy. Um, I remember being in a meeting where we part of our prayer was for a dear brother that was very seriously ill. And I was really helped by the prayer of a certain person. And this person said, Lord, we know that you have a will. We respect that. But we also have a desire. We love our brother. And we pray for healing. For you to come in and heal him. This is our wish. How can we want something other than that? But Lord, we yield to your will with whatever you're doing. So to me, this sets the, uh, the structure of the prayer. It's both divine and human. And we want to again be in the spirit and taking Christ as our person. And out of love, out of our concern, we pray and we inquire of the Lord. Don't analyze this perfect will, permissive will prayer. Just make your request known. Then you may also pray, Lord, we just bring this matter to you. You may want to pray, Lord, may this experience not be in vain. May the brother gain you. May you gain him. If there's something you're trying to accomplish, may you do it, Lord. And then I believe you'll be satisfied. And so will the Lord. During a church meeting, if an older brother above 70 years keeps mentioning using the saints as examples to what he is saying, but in the process exposes details about them, is this appropriate? Absolutely not. Love covers a multitude of sins. Um... And I, I looked at my wife before I made any reference. Super positive. I just wanted to care for her feeling. I'm not afraid of being adjusted later. I just want to care for her feeling. <laughs> and so to use others as to expose them. This is not love. Love covers. We don't do this. This just has to stop. Because some saints smile if they are referred to in these meetings. Well, it could be a genuine smile. It could be an artificial smile. It depends on, on how it is, but still the principle is wrong. But not all of them may be comfortable about what is being mentioned of them. The only one that I knew, and he would do this with brothers only, except and one exception, he might make mention of a certain person. But he knew how to cover, he knew to how to supply. He knew how that would affect that person and he knew how that would affect the audience. But we're not brotherly and I'm not brotherly and I'm not going in that direction either. (laughs) How do you help someone who is anxious about many things but not willing to trust in the Lord? It affects those in corporate living with them. Okay. Um, They're not willing I hope you're accurate. Not willing. That's a deliberate decision. I refuse to trust in the Lord. Maybe it's because they can't or they're not able. Well, two things. 
Whether you can say both, you'll have to have the Lord's leading. Paul, uh, Paul says in Philippians 4, Do not be anxious. Let your requests be made known to God. And First Peter 5, verse says, Cast all your anxieties on him, God, for it matters to him concerning you. So I would suggest if you're anxious about something, tell the Lord about it. Lord, I'm worried about this. I'm anxious about this. I'm nervous, Lord. Help me. And then the other thing is, uh, sister, if you would rather not pray like this or ask us to pray, please stop talking to us like this. Okay? Because it has effect on others. We'll pray for you. We'll care for you. But our, our suggestion is just make your request known to God and just bring all of your cares to him and let him do it. But especially if she is not willing, then there has to be some restriction. Then that's, that can be your in, internal condition. But please, don't, don't bring this out again and again to affect the atmosphere. You're living corporately here. You're all young, perhaps, but still take care of the situation. Now, I'll go to the long one, the long one. Lately, for the last couple of months, we have experienced here severe bushfire in Australia. It was unprecedented, and it did affect the lives of people who live in Sydney City and residential area. Before bushfire is gone, okay, we have you know, coronavirus started in China. Okay, these days I really feel like I know how the people that... Egypt fell when there were the ten plagues. I'm very much awakened by the Lord because of all these and also because of his speaking in the word. So now I am in desperate to contact the Lord and pursue his word. This has been happening from the beginning of the year. You are blessed. You are doing the best thing you can do. Because in principle, God is speaking through catastrophes to people. If it's a tsunami, if it's an earthquake, if it's a volcanic eruption, he is saying, repent, repent, because the real judgment is coming. Repent. We have to be careful of how we say it, but God is speaking. He knows these are going on. And he will control, through our prayer, the coronavirus. He's allowing the enemy to do so much, but the enemy will always go too far. So we have to pray for the limitation and the protection of all the churches and all the saints. Well, okay, I know. it seems I know things could be worse in the future. They will be. How can I be kept? How can I be in a sweet relationship with the Lord if things really become bad and if the time of the great tribulation comes? I would pray earnestly that you be among those of the first fruits that are raptured before the great tribulation. And that you are now alert and you are very exercised and just say, Lord, in the time remaining, give me the experiences that I need to mature in the divine life, 
to be part of the wedding with the overcomers. This is what's in my heart, and I pray the same thing for all my brothers and sisters. Could you fellowship concerning uh, young people? This is of an age group of just graduating from high school. Uh, And the one who wrote the question made a few comments to me. Um, A couple things. I mean, this is a big subject and a major concern in our shepherding. That we need to pray and as much as we can guide these advanced teenagers to have a personal and direct contact with the Lord. Just to make them comfortable where they are, to help them have a personal contact with the Lord. So they don't spend the rest of their days with a hand-me-down vision and a hand-me-down testimony of experience. One thing I did for my firstborn, a daughter, the Lord just gave me this prayer. Lord, as early as possible in her life, show her the vanity of the world. And even when she was about 16, she, she testified, Dad, I'm beginning to see this. And also, we need to realize something. That all of us, but now especially these younger ones, need to be saved in the second way. The first way is to have eternal salvation followed by salvation in life. But in Acts 2, we read, and in Philippians 2, we read this, be saved from this crooked and perverted generation. Because we are nearing the end. And the Lord said emphatically, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Then he mentions Lot, as it was then, it will be now. But he didn't mention marriage, indicating marriage may be set aside. But they're buying and selling, eating and drinking. But those that are one with the Lord are building the ark, the corporate Christ, building the body. And we need to help them to see the deceit pervading this generation in the atmosphere. We need to pray they would not be shaped according to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. So on the positive side, we need to foster their personal contact with the Lord so that they can say themselves, your love, Lord, is better than wine, is better than video games, is better than this. They need to find this out for themselves. And we need to pray that they will be saved from this generation. Otherwise, the, the ark, the overcomers, will be raptured, and the rest will go through the hour of trial. The tribulation may be focused in the Middle East, but the hour of trial will be on the whole inhabited earth. And then, kind of belated, they will turn. And I, I know I should just open to the Lord and stop my trying. However, at times I am scared of the light, okay, that might accompany my opening. 
I just felt ignorance is bliss. And I would rather remain blind to my condition because, uh, you know, it's... Okay, I think we get the point here. Uh, it's the self that's afraid. Okay, we're all the same. We express it in different ways, but we're all the same. You're not alone. But Lord, I, it's the self that doesn't want to be exposed. The enemy... His authority is darkness. You need to realize wherever there is darkness, the enemy rules. Wherever there is darkness in our being, the authority of Satan is there. Christ rules by light, love, and light. And maybe this will encourage you a little bit. With the Lord, love always comes with light. Light shines, light exposes Love supplies and love covers. So I suggest you try a little experiment. <clears throat> and, the, <clears throat> and the Lord will be very happy to work along with you. So I may say in the message, oh, we need to open our whole being to the Lord, all of our inward parts, so he can work himself into us. And the spirit of Jehovah is the lamp of the Lord searching all the inward parts of our inner being. And you hear this and it's kind of scary. <laughs> and so the experiment is this. And say, Lord, I open a little bit. I'm just going to open a little bit. You'll be surprised. The Lord, Lord would say, little bit is good. It's good. So now I come in. And then you realize, what is it like? It's pleasant. The light supplies me it releases me it heals me the son of righteousness has healing in its wings and I sense your loving care I think I'm going to do a little more next time and eventually your fear which is really the enemy's fear mingled with your soul he is the one who's afraid he fears exposure because then he loses ground. He retreats immediately. Okay, how can we help younger sisters who feel that we are sexist? For example, brothers not serving in children's service, cooking in the kitchen. Okay. Well, uh, me thinks that the thought of being sexist comes from the spirit of the age. Okay, but I'm not dismissing it. Uh, because all of us brothers here, we need to be open to the Lord just to ask him, do we have, we have any bias at all when it comes to the sister? Do we? Are we under any influence of the natural man? Do we? And, uh, okay, many years ago in Anaheim, I served in children's meeting, but with the sixth graders. I don't know if men like us can do the best with those three, four, five, six, seven years old. And so, in working in the kitchen, or cooking in the kitchen, this may or may not be, but, but I would appeal to you, don't trust, don't rely so much in your perception. 
It could be. It may not be. It just may be a practical arrangement. No brothers can cook. Okay, no one here can cook good enough. You don't want to partake of what they would produce. Okay? Or then, but then there are some... I've had... I've been visiting a church and there's... A, 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 the fellowship over dinner and the whole meal was prepared by a brother. But he really knew to cook. <laughs> and if no brothers are serving at all in the children's meeting, I want to be careful because I don't touch anything of a local church administration. I think that is not the usual practice. Many churches, their principle is, if you have children, both parents serve in children's meeting. They're your kids, you should bear some responsibility. So I'm all for brothers serving in children's meeting in the way that is most beneficial. Okay. I did that one. Vicky, we're getting there. We might be able to do this. What are some ways I can redeem the time? Okay, one way is to realize what's consuming your time. That is time at your disposal. At your job, you owe your boss the hours you're there. So you don't redeem that time (laughs) by PSRPing instead of doing your work. And... In, in, just to inquire, just to say, Lord, show me how I can redeem time. Yeah. And one way to do it is take advantage of little portions of time. Yeah. Right? That, that's like when I gave the illustration that I'm in the left turn lane with the, at the red arrow, I'm in the 10th yeah. car, and if the other drivers have quick enough reflexes, I'll make it, but they don't, so I'm stuck for two and a half minutes. That's where I can redeem time. There's lots of little bit of time. Plus there are things that are occupying your time. You know. And so, okay, you may be on your iPad. You may be doing this and that. You needed to do something. But then you got interested in something. And that led you to something else. And what you should have done in 10 minutes, you're now there for 47 minutes. So you can redeem time by disciplining yourself a little and not allowing it to be gradually taken away. You mentioned that sisters can pray prayers of spiritual warfare when they are covered. I am endeavoring to pray with my spouse and other sisters for a number of burdens, but sometimes I am not sure if our prayers touch the source. Could you share on how we can pray to enter into the reality of a life of praying prayers of spiritual warfare. Okay, it's not only prayers of spiritual warfare, prayers of carrying out God's administration, prayers for his will to be done. Okay, we need to separate this category of prayer from personal prayers of fellowship, of making a request known to God. This is now the prayer ministry of the church. And so there are there's a basic principle that we need to learn together, little by little. All these kind of prayers originate with the Lord. They do not and should not 
originate with us because we have all kinds of feelings of things. No. This is now the prayer ministry of the church. The Lord is interceding all the time. He is on the throne. He is carrying out God's governmental administration. A key verse is John 15, 7. That verse says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Well, we are abiding in the Lord. But he doesn't say here, I abide in you. He said, my words abide in you. Some living words that cause a saint to sense. We need to pray about this. We need to pray about this matter. And then that desire of God becomes our desire. Then I want to pray about this. I want you to open North Korea. You're praying for this. You infuse this feeling into me. Now it's our feeling. Lord, open up North Korea. And then the Lord can do whatever we ask because we are asking him to do what he wants to do because God will not act unilaterally. He will not act alone. He is waiting for the prayers of the church. When it comes to the prayers of warfare and the prayers of causing God's will to be done on earth and prayers of binding what the heavens have bound and loosing what the heavens have loosed and praying for the Lord to open up parts of the earth that have been closed, he starts, he makes it known. So we have a splendid example from our history We know in 1991, the Lord's recovery was sent to the Russian-speaking world. Brother Lee had the clear burden. It followed the collapse of the Soviet Union. The Lord infused this burden into Brother Lee. But prior to that, for several years, some brothers in the Northwest had the burden to pray and pray again and again for the Lord to open up the Russian-speaking world. They even started learning Russian. They were preparing themselves to go to Russia for visits. And you see, God didn't just decide, okay, I'm going to cause the Soviet Union to collapse. Boom, it's gone. Now I'm going to open up the Russian-speaking world. He wants to do that. But he will wait until we ask him, even tell him to do that. And so... We need to come together in oneness and be emptied out of feelings that so easily come out in prayers that are not prayers. They're just expressions of our feeling. That's okay between you and the Lord, but not in the prayer meeting of the church. I was in one prayer meeting, and there are three older sisters that were famous for this. They prayed way, way beyond their measure. And the three of them were interacting praying again and again. And when there was a gap, the other sisters didn't pray because they were downright bothered by these sisters praying so much. So their spirit wasn't free. Then they filled the gap. And I confess, I'm the one who did it. I stood up. I had the leading of the Lord, I think. I said, the Lord wants to change the direction of our prayer. I don't know what it is. But we all need to be calm and quiet. Quiet. 
to calm our soul before the Lord. So those three were quiet for the rest of that meeting anyway. And we were quiet. Then less than a minute later, a middle-aged sister began to pray for the Lord to open up Boston for the Lord's recovery. It had been closed for 30 years. Then the heavens opened and the prayers just gushed out. And then so much of what happened in Boston, including the XB training of Anaheim, is the issue of that. And so it could be any member. It's not just with the elders. It's not just with the co-workers. It could be any priest in the meeting. And then we just sense this is it. So when it comes to warfare, it's the same thing. The sisters knew there was prayer for a particular matter. And they were ready to pray. But they were concerned that they would overstep. But no, they're warriors. The Lord wants to marry a warrior wife. This includes warrior women who are our sisters. And so you are covered. And I just said directly, I, we will cover you. And they did it. How do you tell the saints who are fellowshipping or fellowshipping with you to stop without hurting their feelings or offending them? Well, I don't have a method like with how, but generally, I just had the sense within. I have to control my being. It's not because I'm irritated and I don't give clues like I roll my eyes or I sigh or I check my mail <laughs> while you're talking, indicating to you you should, you should stop. I assume that they have some some respect and some regard. I would just say, uh, I, I think you've made the matter clear. Okay. I hear what you're saying. I think you made the matter clear. And then they just take the limitation. You can say something gently, but honestly, with some firmness, and the saints won't feel rejected, and they may realize, yeah, I was really going nonstop. Okay, as we are living in the end of the age, I have a feeling of the need to drop my job and lifestyle. Uh, and the, in the worldly affairs of this life uh, that, have, you know, that are in the world, how can one practically uh, achieve this so they can be more devoted to uh, the body of Christ? Well, uh, remember, I used the illustration of, of the rapture. The two women were working. Kind of boring stuff. Grinding out the grain. The two men were in the field. They were working. So the Lord doesn't want us to like uh, sell everything, quit our jobs, get white robes, and stand on the roof of the house <laughs> waiting for the Lord to come back. Okay, I'm exaggerating, of course. By the way, I just had one other question. We're going to do it just slightly past 3.30. Will you forgive me for that? Okay. Um, and so what you need is to be, not be entangled. Not to be entangled. But the extreme is, okay, I'm just going to resign my job and whatever it is. You just consider not to be entangled with the affairs of this life. Paul says this in 2 Timothy. No soldier is entangled with the affairs of this life. It's the entanglement. It's not having a job. It's not being a student. We, we need to live 
a normal human life, but in increasingly disentangling ourselves. Several years ago, our dear brother Benson, in his faithfulness and truthfulness to the whole recovery, he just asked all the saints, especially in the United States, in the next five years, get out of debt. So I would suggest that. I know what it's like to have a lot of credit card debt. No, I wasn't bankrupt. And then something happened. This goes back 24 years or so. I just cleared it all. Then I made a decision. I will not go in debt for anything. I will only buy something that I need according to my means. If I don't have the means, I will not buy it. I will use a credit card because it's convenient and I'll pay the full balance every month. They won't get any interest from me. And even that one thing can disentangle us. So we want to be disentangled, but not in the sense that we become in any way sort of abnormal. It may be, no, you're offering me this promotion. I don't think I can take it. I appreciate your offering me. But this is going to involve my weekends. You're going to want me to be on the yacht with the executives and all of this. And I will serve you faithfully. You know I have. But I'm not going to sell myself. You're not going to be a pharaoh to me. And so I'm going to stop here because I'm not governed by my career. I can develop in my profession. I'd like to advance, do the best that I can. But inwardly, I want to be free because when the rapture call comes, I'm not going to stay at my computer and finish the email that I'm writing. <laughs> I'm going, man. I'm lugging out of here. How can married couples in the Lord's recovery be built together? What can we do as a couple to be more useful to the Lord? I love the example of Aquila and Priscilla. They were Jews. They were driven out of Jerusalem. And so wherever they were, the church met in their house. One day, uh, this um, Apollos... An eloquent man came to town, knew the scriptures, spoke powerfully. But he wasn't clear about certain things. So the two of them brought him home. It wasn't that Aquila talked with Apollos while Prisca did the dishes. Both of them interacted with him. And I just have to believe that a married couple cannot have as their, as their life story. On the one hand, they risk their necks for, the, for Paul and the apostles in their work. On the other hand, wherever they were, their church was in their house. A couple cannot do that if they don't have a harmonious marriage. Because that will affect the atmosphere. You don't have an argument five minutes before the home meeting, and then suddenly everything is hunky-dory, what you do is you press the pause button, you have the home meeting. When it's all over, you continue the argument. <laughs> That's been done. How do I know? 
You know how I know. <laughs> and so, in First uh, Peter 3, when he's talking to the husbands now, he said, live with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the weaker vessel as heirs together of the grace of life, so that your prayers would not be hindered. I just wonder, only the Lord knows. I would just ask him, but I know that I won't get an answer. Lord, you know all the marriages and your recovery. What is the percentage of married couples that can have a prayer ministry together? I believe it's very, very small. Because if there are there may not be major problems. There's just a lack of one accord. There's a lack of harmony. There's a lack of mutual care on every level. And so what happens, you can pray with anyone else in the church, but not him or her. And it's not normal. And the Lord cover me to say this. Tanya and I can be together at lunch, fellowshipping while... We're enjoying our soup. Then either one of us has the sense. We need to pray about this matter. What's going on in the government in the U.S., what the enemy is doing. We put down our spoons. And then we just pray for maybe five minutes. And then we continue with our soup. It's a little cool. <laughs> but in any case to me, it's just woven into the fabric of the married life is not something you impose on it. It's just something that emerges. And so there was a time, I don't do this anymore. And I had fellowship with fourth term trainees, especially brothers, and they wanted fellowship about courtship and this and that. And I tell them, I can save you 10 years in your married life. 20 I can't do. 10 I can do. How can, what do you mean? How can you do that? I said, okay, here's what happens. Uh, you offend your wife or you hurt your wife. She is going to remember that and she is going to have that feeling in her for quite a period of time. And if you have a series of these, she will remember all of them and they will be like a series of missiles in silos. <laughs> and then when you have an argument, then she will refer to these. Fire this one. Fire that one. You did this. You said this. Then she'll top it off by saying, you always do that. <laughs> and then you make one of the dumb things. I said, you can avoid this by avoiding real dumb things. Like when your wife says, you always do it, or you never do it. You never do it. Then you want to be clever. You say, I never did it. But I distinctly remember on October 19th, 2018, I did it. And, and, and just uh, uh, several weeks ago, I did it. So it's not accurate. Now you added fuel to the fire because she is expressing a feeling. And so let's just say, so I just gave them a list of things. How do I know? There are such a list. is because I did them all. <laughs> and so let's say it's a Thursday night and you're supposed to go 
to a service meeting of a service group, and your wife, who was eight and a half months pregnant, comes and stands in front of you and says, will you please stay home tonight? Then you think, oh, if I do that, I'm not seeking the kingdom first. I am saving my soul life. I have to go. Then you go. Then during the night, the water breaks ahead of time. You've got to dash through the hospital. Then maybe ten years later, that wound can be healed. And so then I tell the brothers things like this. When your wife says to you, we need to talk, you have to understand there is no we here. (laughs) We need to talk means this. I want to talk and you are to say nothing. (laughs) And so then here's another dumb thing you avoid. If I want to say something to almost anybody, I have some clarity in my mind. Then I just express as clearly as I can what's within me. But then she says, we we need to talk. I want to talk. And so she starts to talk. And then I'm listening for a while. Then I interject, what's the point? What's the point? (laughs) And if she could say the truth, she said, I'm looking for the point. I will arrive at the point. And so then I learned, okay, this is on a journey for her. Be quiet. Open to her. Draw her spirit out. Then she will have the sense, this is love. Now, now, I, now I'm clear. So I've told brothers, with a sense of humor, if you can listen to your wife for 20 or 30 minutes without sighing, without rolling your eyes, without thumbing through the mail, without checking your email on the phone, if you can just listen to her intently, you are almost ready for rapture right now. (laughs) Okay, that's it. Isn't it rather pleasant to have fellowship like this? And so I just offer it to you in almost every case just as fellowship. And so you're a very good, responsive audience. (laughs) So, again, you, you go home, the married brother, or sometime this week, when you hear the words, they're ominous words. We need to talk. (laughs) Learn to listen. Learn to listen with love, care, and respect. And it will bring blessing into your married life. Eventually, everything will be in harmony. And you'll have a divinely human married life. And you can show affection to one another, hugging, embracing, kissing. And then in the next moment, You're praying together. Then you're laughing together. It's just one smooth, divine human relationship.